This podcast is supported by Red Energy, powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Red is a hundred percent Australian owned and local. Phone one three one eight zero six. Welcome to Homestyle with Shana Blades. Thanks to Red Energy, born and bred in Melbourne, with a customer solutions team based here. Switch to Red Energy today. And welcome to the show. My name's Jane Nielden. Each week I am joined by Shana Blaze to talk all things design. If you haven't heard our previous episodes, make sure you go back in the Homestyle with Shana Blaze feed and listen to us discuss things like sustainability and lighting. We even do a deep dive on flooring. Shana, you're the judge on the block, the designer on Selling Houses Australia. You have a very loyal Instagram followers of people who want to learn more about design. Welcome. Lovely to be back. Now, I suggested we talk about colour, and I think you just wrote whole episode on this. I um, actually probably could do a whole series on it. <laughs> so really, how fundamental is colour when we consider the impact that design has on our lives? I think when I think of colour, I think I might think negative connotations because I've grown up in a particular era where, we'll talk about that later, but things like the 70s and the 80s, I think I'm scarred by some of the colour choices. You know what? I actually, in my book, Design with Colour and Style, did exactly that. There's a questionnaire on certain things about colour. And colour is one of those things like art that you tend to like it or hate it or sometimes love it. But when people don't like a colour, it's very strong. And it usually comes from a connection of something that's happened in your past of a positive or a negative emotion. <laughs> like, I'm not joking. The psychology of colour is immense. And I studied it for a couple of years. And colour just excites me because I love what it can do. And it's very persuasive too. If you think about marketing, Marketing colours are used so strongly in anything and signage and advertising and, you know, all of those things, you know, if you watch Mad Men, you know, talk about, oh, we need this colour because it works against that. That's the same with your home. It works out all these different elements in your home. So have you had bad experiences with colour over the years? Like, can you think back to a a colour that really irks you? (laughs) Look, I have to say, I'm an Aries and my colour's meant to be red and I I stay away from red. I feel like you're a red kind of person. I'm not a red person. (laughs) I've got to say I love a red shoe and a red lip. But in my home, no. And and I've got to say that I had a little car when I was younger. It was called the Jaffa, so it was more orange than it was red. But every time I get in a car, if it's a red car, I go, it just plays my psyche. It's not my colour. Other people wearing it, I don't have a problem with it. But I've got to say that a bad experience was when we were in the early 2000s and it was all about um, cocoa colours and coffee colours and latte colours. And the only thing you could really contrast that with was warm tones of oranges and reds. Mm. That was probably the least creative time of my life. Reds and red timbers was basically all you could get. And I felt quite down and it wasn't one of those things that, you know, I'd done psychology a lot before, but it wasn't during that period that I realised that the reds that were happening in my environment and around me in my home actually made me quite flat. It wasn't till I was able to work that out and before people were getting out of it, I just, I just expelled all those colours and started putting in the colours that make me feel great, which is turquoise. And um, all of a sudden I just, I, I completely changed. And colour goes back a long way in terms of it it was a sign of wealth. So from what I understand, you know, you see there's some great shows on uh, cable TV at the moment, like, you know, the great palaces of the world. Yeah. And you just think, 
oh, like wealth, but not much taste because it was like every single colour under the sun was squeezed into one grand room because if I can show I've got enough money for gold and those rich, dark tones that you're speaking of, they were very expensive to create back in the day. Exactly, but it's also, it it comes down to like purple was one of those big, rich colours because it was about um, religion Mm. and it was also about monarchy and I think also with with those rich um, purple colours, then it was also into the holistic world. So it ended up sort of working into a few different things. But purple is meant to be a sense of strength and a sense of power. And whether you use strength and power to actually surge you or you've had a bad experience, it will dominate you. So that's how it can work for you or against you. It's bringing back memories. It's probably 10 seasons ago, but Selling Houses Australia, you did a place (laughs) where a woman had a purple kitchen. I know it well. Do you remember? She was the most divine person. No, no. Like, I'm not casting aspersions on her personality, but I saw that and I thought, wow, this woman at one point in her life was like, you go, girl, I'm going to make a purple kitchen. Yeah. And then a few years later, as her life circumstances had changed, you walk in, it looked high spec. It looked like it was a very good quality kitchen, but you've just walked in and gone wow, how do I convince anyone in the world who didn't choose to build a purple kitchen that they can live with this? It was yeah. an eyesore. Well, the thing is also like she used the purple to empower her. So yes. that's it was it energised her and calmed her all at the same time. She had a purple car. She had purple boots. She had yep. purple clothes. Everything was purple and it made her happy. And so I totally got that. But again, that comes down to a colour that's polarising. So purple, red and oranges are possibly the most polarising colours when you're trying to sell a house. If somebody walks into that house and goes, I love it, I want to buy it off you, that is fantastic. But it comes down to selling tools. And purple is so divisive because it can actually make make people feel overwhelmed. And I think that's the biggest thing. You've just <laughs> got to work out of over steamrolling somebody with a colour. And it was almost monotone and monotonous. It was just too much. It was incredibly overwhelming. And she was the most beautiful person and she totally got it. But when we did it, she goes, oh, maybe I did have a bit too much purple. (laughs) (laughs) And it sounds as though you need to use that psychology that you've studied over the years to actually work with your clients. Have you been in a situation where at that sort of design level, someone suggested something And you just see warning bells thinking, no way, they are never going to love this in five years' time? Look, I think it's two ways in the fact that you can go down that road and because I sit there and ask them why. Why do you want that colour? What what is it doing for you? And it might be something that happened in their past that was a happy time and they're trying to recreate it. Well, when you're trying to recreate one moment, it's not going to make anything better. So let's recreate that feeling. Mm. Is that colour going to do it or is there other ways we can do it? And then you work out how that immersive, that colour will come into their life. Then there's also the part where I've had quite a few clients always say to them, so what do you love and what do you hate? Just tell me the colours that you hate and then we'll work around from then. And then there's a couple where I just, you know, it was green. Green is a polarising one because we have bad memories of green in school uniforms and just things that are thrown at us. Maybe yeah. this studio, a yeah, bit of green We're in, in a here. green studio. We're in a green studio, but it's certain types of green. But the softness of green has completely changed. And I've got to say it's a colour that I never thought that I would get into and, and use, but I use a lot of green for certain reasonings and certain moments and certain emotions. So I've had to tentatively 
throw a little bit of colour out there to a client just going, now, just come with me on this ride. Let's just work this one out together. Let's do this. And then they're understanding the reasoning and how they can do it. And then some of them will just go, you know what, you're just scarring me too much. I can't go down there. I go, fine, <laughs> not a problem. But but it is colour is an open conversation. And it's a moving conversation because there's colour development happening all the time. You're always mentioning, you know, brand new paint shades that I've never heard of before. <laughs> Have you ever got it wrong? Have you ever done something for a client? You've, you've taken them down that little path. You've introduced some colour they were a bit hesitant about. And you've actually realised that it didn't work? Look, I think not so much it didn't work in taking them down that road. And this is to help everyone out there that's put a colour on the wall and go, it looks nothing like the chip. Yes. I had selected these colours for the exterior of the house and it was in sort of brownie tones and it came out purple. So it wasn't so much the actual tone of what I'd selected, it was the application and what was reflective. And that was pretty early in my career and I learnt a lot by mistakes. And I think that's really important what people need to do, that whenever there's a mistake, look at why it's a mistake and go, well, I'm never going to do that one again. And that's the thing with colour. It's You might look at the paint chip and, and it's fantastic and then you paint it on a board and it does look exactly the same because the um, saturation is different from a small chip to a large piece. But light is reflective, which means colour is reflective. So it takes on colours around it. It takes on the colours of whether it's daylight, whether it's evening light, whether it's, you know, you've got a a yellow globe, a a fluorescent globe. There are so many things that come into play when you're choosing colour and you don't know until it's on the wall. So I always tell people to do test patches of, you know, maybe, uh, you know, 500 mil by 500 mil and don't put them all side by side because they'll actually play off each other as well. Oh, so you can't just whack them all across the wall? No, people do it all the time and you go past and you go, how long have they been in there? Two years and I still can't make up a decision because (laughs) the colour on the wall is playing against it. You might have an off-white and you've put a a blue on there and the the blue looks insipid, but it's actually the off-white that's making it look insipid. Mm. It's not the blue that you're putting on there. So... Here we go, talking about psychology. It is so different. So many things come into play for colour and it is it is a very hard thing to get right a, long, a lot of the time. What did you do with the house that turned accidentally purple? Did you have to tell the clients you were going to paint it again? Or, oh, no, 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 that's what oh, it's no, we like. had No, no, I owned it. I owned it. They had to, <laughs> we had to pick another colour and it, it actually took a lot to fix it because it was the reflective and we had to end up going for a completely different colour at all because we couldn't stay within that, that colour palette because it was never going to work. So we we had to go a lot more neutral, but even then the neutral colour was still picking up pinks and reds because of what it was reflecting off the, the stones that were on the um, pool surround. Well, it's kind of reassuring to hear that someone like yourself has had your failures over the years, Shana, but <laughs> colour does take confidence. It, it must be quite a challenge as a designer to make a decision, own it and be confident in it. Yeah, it is. And I think colour makes a fool of a lot of people. And, you know, people say, I don't know which colour to do and what to do there. And um, we're very caught up in whites and neutrals and being afraid of adding colour because people feel like one, what if I make a mistake and I don't like it? And, you know, talking about paint and the fact that you can change that very quickly, colour in bed linen, colour in artwork, you know, they are places that you can really take some chances because it's so personal and colour is very individual. But people panic because they've got to do colour for the whole family. People are just scared, oh, we'll just paint the whole place white and then we'll work it out when we do later. 
No, they don't. They just painted another white 10 years later. So <laughs> I, I think don't be afraid. I, I think we have so much fear of colour and really there's more things to be scared of in life like being hit across, across the road when you're yeah. walking. Like, you know. <laughs> it's not a life and death choice. Exactly. <laughs> now, Shana, you did actually mention the uh, mocha tones, the latte tones mm. of the early 2000s. So I wondered what your thoughts were on some of the periods in history. Now, I personally have a real thing for enamel green. It's it's not a kind of tree green. Yeah. It's a softer kind of almost bluey tones. And I'm sure that's because my grandmother's kitchenware, she had beautiful canisters that were in that particular oh, yes. 1950s green. So for me, that has a really positive association. I met someone once who just said, oh, could you get rid of all that horrible granny green? Yeah, see, and they called it granny green, whereas you they loved did. your granny and so it reminded you. And so there again is that association of colour. So what do you associate with, say, the 50s? Wow. So the 50s, I don't actually know that well. It's more sort of like growing up in, you know, late 60s from from there on. But I I just find the the 50s, um, we do a lot of glorification because we think of um, mid-century, we think of Palm Springs. We're not Palm Springs here. We didn't have Palm (laughs) Springs. We didn't have all those beachy, beautiful tones. We had a lot of laminate. That's when it was really sort of kicking out um, in a lot of, you know, that, that red sort of laminate and the tables had the metal strips around the edges yes. that were done with nails and that, you know, you'd rip your skirt on it or you'd actually cut your arm and all that sort of thing. So I sort of felt a lot of those 50s leftovers were, were sort of coming into my childhood and a lot of them were bad vinyl, bad yellow, really bad red and bad grey. Like they were they were dark and gloomy. So, you know, grey, yellow and red in very subtones um, were very popular and lots of fleck and really hard lino and really, you know, bad, hard materials that were expensive to replace. So I sort of don't have a lot of um, good memories of what I saw out of that because there was a lot of really bad pastels. You know, it wasn't happy days. (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, we move into the 60s and I guess then the 70s. My recollection of the 70s was all shag pile carpet and wood everywhere and a lot of just exposed gross brick. (laughs) Not the cool brick, not beautiful old vintage red bricks, but just lots of brown brick. (laughs) It's almost like what happened in then because you had all the beautiful bricks that were made here. You know, it's called a Hawthorne brick and I have Hawthorne bricks in my place and it's a beautiful rich sort of brownie red then it became this dirty red yeah it's sort of like something happened to bricks around that time but you know one of those big associations with 70s is that really horrible two words that get put together mission brown (laughs) Which was just that horrible, horrible brown that every fence was painted, yes. all the fascias and eaves, um, the the trims around the doors, the doors, and it was a very hard colour to get rid of because it was just full into the timber and ingrained and, and you couldn't get rid of it. And yeah, you couldn't just sand it back and could Couldn't and just sand it, it back. <laughs> no, exactly. So there was a lot of, you know, you think of the 50s that had those pastel tones and then in the 60s were psychedelic, 
lots of bright colours, lots of, you know, bold oranges, lots of beautiful sort of like fluoro colours. And we're, wallpaper that was And crazy. wallpaper. <laughs> and then in the 70s, it's just like we went Debbie Downer and, and just went very subdued and very heavy and got stuck in those horrible brown tones that stuck around for a very long time. And the 80s and then the 90s and the 2000s. I mean, there's some dubious colour choices, I think, if you... Yeah. You only have to jump on realestate.com and look at rental places that people don't renovate and try and rent out in original condition. It's like, wow. <laughs> I, I think what, what's really funny with the 80s is that was quite a few points of difference. There was lots... A lot of lace came back in, a lot of dried flowers with glue guns. Oh, and potpourri. Potpourri. <laughs> then you had your beautiful, you know, sort of wallpapers and and things like that that weren't great, you know, and a lot of, you know, the freezers had like a a kettle on it or, you know, it's a kitchen, so let's put a freeze that's got a kettle on it. So when you say freeze, for people maybe don't recognise that term, it's like Mm. a strip of patterned wallpaper, often sort of, you know, three quarters of the way up the wall and it's like, let's just put a lovely floral motif. There's still plenty of people living with those on their walls. But you know what the (laughs) funny thing is? You go back to the beauty of Timeless Classic when you're looking at houses in the, the late 18th hundreds to the 1910s, 20s, 30s, and even early 40s as well, that had, you know, dado lines, chair rails, they had beautiful cornicing. And then once you hit the the late 60s, they stripped everything back to create minimalism and, and sort of take the fuss out of everything. But by the time we got to the 80s, people wanted to add more fuss. And I think that's why people get so set of colour, because they think colour is fuss, but it's everything that comes with it back in those times. Now, you sort of said that it would be an easy approach to just walk in, paint the whole place white and then do it again in another 10 years. But I have seen you do that on Selling Houses where you've taken a place that, I mean, recently you did a log cabin that on the outside you actually just reboarded it, put, you know, chiplap on it and completely transformed the thing from a horrible, ugly brown Mm. log cabin. Inside wasn't too bad. But is there anything wrong with just doing that really basic, the whites and the sort of lighter tones, especially if you're thinking of selling down the track? Because I guess it comes back to that thing of, well, are you going to live here for the rest of your life with your purple kitchen? Or are you going to sell in a few years' time? Do you have to think ahead a bit? I, I think what people get caught on is that if they see me doing that on Selling Houses, again, it is one, we're fixing a problem. And a lot of the time you have to go back to basics to, to do that. So you paint it white or you paint it off-white or it might be an off-blue or it might be an off-grey. So it's not always just white that's what's on the screen. But then you have to layer with neutrals in the fact that you might put timbers in there. You might actually put beautiful organic fibres. You might do textures in your cushions, textures in your lights. It's what you put with it. Just as much as strong colours with your going white, you have to create personality and softness. There's a lot of harshness that that comes with the plain white. And if you just contrast it with a, a couple of, you know, strong colours of, of black or if you do a strong timber, and then, again, that just becomes very, very hard. So you've got to actually soften and play down white because, it, again, if you can have so much um, daylight and it hits the, the white walls, you need sunglasses. So it is about making it right for what it is. And what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago about lighting, about, you know, your daylight and your evening light, you know, your, your blue globes and your, your warm globes that give off a yellow, it 
white can come in blue undertones and if you put a daylight globe near that, you, you literally can't live in it. So it's also the direction of where the house is of what type of white you put in. You know, if you get lots of uh, north and south light, you're probably going to have a very cold, cold home because you might get the north at one end but south at the other end. So you have to do a different neutral. So that's where you can't always do the same white through the whole house because mm. at the north facing, it will be really lovely, but at the south facing, it's a fridge. <laughs> and I'm not joking, that does happen. It yeah. does happen. Wow. So it all does come back to knowing where the light is in your home yes. as well. Yes, yeah. It's all intertwined, isn't it? It is. And I think that's the thing is with, with colour, there's psychology, there's positioning, there's lighting, there's what it reflects and the moods that it creates. So I know we've said many times about design. Good design is when you don't notice it. Mm. It's when you can actually move through quite purposefully, do what you need to do. But bad design, bad colour stops you in your tracks and stops you doing what you need to do. So how do you recommend for a client who is thinking of making a fairly bold choice? Do you suggest a paint out a wall? I mean, you've said that perhaps just even a sample patch on the wall isn't going to be quite right. But before you go and paint a whole house or a whole room, can you live with it for a little while? Or should you be using some sort of a design app where it can throw the colours up on a little sort of well, the simulation? Way, yeah, the, what I used to do years ago um, is, you know, you get A4 pieces of paper and you put all the different colours on those A4 pieces of paper, then you stick them on the wall. So they're not being painted on the wall. You're not getting the undertones of the existing paint that's on there. So you do your A4 pieces separately and then you leave them there for a couple of days, for a week, and see how the natural light during the day and the evening changes, how your, how your globes react with it, and all the reflections of the flooring, the, the furniture that you have, and how that's going to work, and really how it works in different rooms of the house. And you'd be surprised how different they look. And, you know, you can put a white in one room, and it looks grey in another, and it just is everything in the room that's interplayed in surfaces, natural light, and artificial light. Do you ever have clients say to you, Shana, we trust you, go for it? Absolutely. Good. Yeah. Is that, I mean, sometimes that might be like overwhelming because you're like, oh, crikey, it's all up to me. Does does it become intimidating that they're leaving such a big choice to you? Look, I have to say early in my career, definitely, definitely. And I think also working on selling houses helps me. It's just like I have to make an opinion Instantly, I have to make decisions and I can't second question them because otherwise I won't be able to move forward. So I have to be very good at decision making, have to be very quick at working out the angles, working out where things are. And most of the time, I've got to say, I I do get it right. And the things that you don't get right, you can move and change. You know, anything that I do with a client as a design, there's going to be 10% that wasn't 100% what we thought it was going to be. And there are times where I say to a client, you know what? Until we get in the home, I don't know if this is going to work, so we'll leave that out until it comes into play. So, you know, and that's where you learn from your mistakes and know where to go and how far to go and when to stop and then just then to live with it and see what you do. There's probably a whole episode as well on how colour trends are set. Yeah. How early do you get 
information from some of your suppliers to say, here's what we're thinking. I'm thinking it's like the fashion industry where, you know, eight months before we see it in our shops, yeah. someone's out there pitching it to trade clients. How often do you get let in on the, hey, Shana, have a look at this. What are you thinking of these new ones? Well, I actually work with trend forecasters. So it's, you know, when I first started interior design, it was all about decades and we don't live in decades anymore. So the trend forecasting is usually done probably two, two and a half years beforehand. So the trends are, you know, sort of the colour palettes, the stylists, the, the the shapes we're going to see. So it's not just certain colours. And that's what the manufacturers start working with. So I like to work with trend forecasting, knowing that this is what the manufacturing is going to do. So most of the time, by the time a manufacturer's got it, it's too late. For us, wow. for the, well, because yeah. it's going to come in in eight months and by the time that's in, everybody's got it. So I yeah. try and work with, okay, where are we going? What's happening? And, and sort of moving forward from there. And I find also that the biggest trend, and which came with colour, changed everything. So we were talking about our mockers. We are talking about our lattes. We we're talking about the 2000s. The biggest change in our lifetime is going from cream neutrals to grey neutrals. Mm. So people say, oh, there's too much grey, there's too much what's good. That's what the base colour is. So once the base colour of everything changed from our carpets, so our carpet colour, our wall colours, our furniture colours, our abstracts, what I was talking to you before about, mm. red was the only colours you could actually yeah. do your abstract sort of colours with, it meant that everything had to change. So that's where our stone colours changed, our floor tiles changed, our hard surfaces really changed once we went from a cream white to a grey white. Well, that actually ties in really well with our listener question this week, Shana. (laughs) And, of course, you are listening to Homestyle with Shana Blaze, thanks to Red Energy, born and bred in Melbourne. That's Red Energy. And we have a question from Kelly in Bendigo. We have a heritage home, Shana. My partner wants to do it in heritage colours. I don't help. (laughs) Okay, so there's two parts to that question is if it's heritage colours on the outside, you may be governed by the council of what you can and can't do. Ah, that's a good thing to remember. So heritage colours, if it's a heritage building that has a heritage overlay, again, the paint colours are usually the only thing they really are um, quite sure on what you have to do. So you might get a panel of maybe five colours you can utilise and you can repaint in that or you can only go for colours in that. Mm. So I'd say just don't repaint if you hate it and just let it go for a while. Um, but if it's inside the house, you don't have to do heritage colours. It's it's only ever the exterior that the council really is involved in the selection. So is that weird though when you see a house on the outside and then of course by that presentation you think, oh, well, this is going to be a traditional Victorian and then you walk in and it's completely different. Is that not oh. jarring? It is. It's just, it, well, what happens is that people just like tend to just strip all those beautiful elements of an old home and just become this, you know, it's like you've walked into a film set. This is what it is on the outside and we've completely changed, mm. you know, to Doctor Who on the inside. Um, yeah, it is. And the really good traditional renovations are done with the, the heritage colours at the front. Then you transition to the front of the house from that period style, start getting modern colours and elements, and then you go into the modern as you get Um, towards the back. So it makes that transition easier. The big difference if once you get in the home, you can still go to those heritage sort of greens and burgundies, but you go for the modern versions of it. Mm. You don't have to have those really heavy Brunswick green and and maroon. They're the ones where you just go, and that really butter, butter yellow. You know, you get those 
different versions of that inside so you can do a transition and then go into the more modern colours as you get to the back of the house. Well, Kelly, I hope that has uh, helped slightly, but of course, uh, sounds like a plan to go and ask about perhaps the heritage overlay, especially in a place like Bendigo. I mean, that's a very, very, very heritage-rich area there as well. If you would like to ask Shana a question, you can head to her Instagram, at Shana Blaze, with a double N. She does get a lot of questions, though, so we'll try and answer some of them on the show in the weeks to come. Shana, if you were to go out right now, you had a couple of hundred bucks in your pocket, you wanted to just give yourself a little burst of colour, what would you buy and what colour would it be in? Oh, that's a good question because I have been sitting in my house. I didn't do anything with it and I'm ready to really go with it. Um, and I've, I've been playing, you know, I've, I've got a very dark blue-black wall. I've got lots of, you know, sort of blues and natural tones and my love is black and white. So I actually really want to go out and buy a high contrast black and white dining table. Wow. And dining chairs. So it might be a black table with black and white chairs. It might be the opposite. But I really, I just want to go for it. And don't worry, everybody, it's not going to look like a chessboard. I will make sure it works with everything else. I haven't been close to my black and white colours in my home for quite a long time, so I'm pretty ready to just get out there. Okay. You might need more than a couple hundred bucks for a dining table to meet that specification. But you can just get one thing at a time. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, Shana, it has been wonderful to talk colour with you. I'm off to uh, reconsider some of my choices. (laughs) I've got to paint a laundry and I'm just going to go white, but maybe it could actually be a lot more exciting. Can I just say your laundry and your powder rooms have fun, go crazy. I love opening that door and going, whoa! It's the best. I will take that on board. Thank you so much for being with us on Homestyle with Shana Blaze. My name's Jane Neild. And if you've got a question for Shana, head to her Instagram at Shana Blaze. And we will talk to you again next week on Homestyle. Thanks to Red Energy, born and bred in Melbourne. That's Red Energy. Thanks for listening to Homestyle with Shana Blaze. Thanks to Red Energy, born and bred in Melbourne with a customer solutions team based here. Switch to Red Energy today. If you enjoyed Homestyle with Shana Blaze, then check out the other podcasts in the Red Energy Lifestyle Series. For all things gardening and DIY, enjoy the sport of gardening with Dale Vine and Jane Neal. Compost is on trend at the moment. It is uh, <laughs> it is as cool as a hairstyle by Dustin Martin, I can tell you. Born and bred in Melbourne, that's Red Energy. Thanks for listening to Homestyle with Shana Blaze, part of Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series. Available on your favourite podcast platform and the SEN.